Good morning, everyone. So I've uh, gotten sucked into this uh, TV show. So I'm watching this TV show on Netflix constantly, like eight episodes. I just started over again after it's over. I just watch it again. So Stranger Things is what I'm watching. And uh, that, that's me on the, uh, I'm not in that shot, but I looked a lot like that kid in the middle's haircut. Um, Okay, I'm not recommending this show. It's not a Christian show, and there's a bunch of bad stuff in it, and there's monsters eating people, and it's just terrible. But I'm watching it anyway. Um, because, because it's set in 1983, and I'm about at 1983, the same age as all the characters in the show, and I'm doing everything. I'm doing everything that they're doing, right? I'm riding bikes. I'm hanging out in the basement playing role-playing games all the time. So, I, I, so this has got me in this mode of reminiscing now. I've got this Spotify playlist I've started. I just listen to all day long of all the songs I listened to when I was 12. And, um, and it just, this reminiscing play, I recontacted a friend from California and we're just sharing all these memories we had because we lived on the same street. So just in this total reflection mode all, all started. So the reason why we're talking about this is because for what we want to go, the place we want to go in today's message, in order for the scriptures to meet your life, you're going to need to be in a self-reflective place. This isn't a, a morning where you can be thinking about a million other things. You really need to be digging in and thinking. So I've got some exercises here to get us into a reflective mode. And we've never done this before that went, since I've been around, but we're going to do a little sharing. Okay, so I'm going to put some images up here and kind of ask you, like, where were you when, you know, you saw this? What senses, what sense memories do you have attached to these things? So the first thing I've got here is, uh, is Fred Flintstone. So now this is different for various generations. For me, Fred Flintstone was something that you had to get up early in the morning to see. This is a seven, this is a before school cartoon. So in my time, cartoons only ran before school, after school, and half a day on Saturday morning. There was no videos. There was no 24 hours a day cartoon channel. So, so when I see Fred Flintstone, I'm like instantly there in the duplex in the kitchenette. I got my Honey Nut Cheerios, and it's dark outside, and I'm finishing it up before the go out to stand at the bus stop, right? So when I ask, where were you when you were watching Fred Flintstone? Yeah. After dinner, when it first appeared on TV, it was at 7 or 7.30. I lived time. on the East Coast. Prime, prime time. time. Prime time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, East, tell us more. East Coast. Oh. Yeah. I, I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. in yeah. Maryland. What did yes. you eat for dinner most nights? Were you watching Flood Flintstone back then? Gee, okay. Um, I don't know. My mother wasn't a casserole person, so. She was or wasn't? Was not. Was so not. Usually, you know, meat, potatoes, yeah. or rice, or whatever. Yeah, and you're all there from Flood Flintstone. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 Someone else? Yeah? Flood Flintstone. Fred Flintstone was on Saturday mornings, and uh, Lisa and I would go get donuts at Jack Frost and then go. come back and watch the cartoons. Yes, owned by the Dyers. I went to school with their son. That's right. See? All that from Fred Flintstone. Okay, where were you when you first saw this next image? Where were you when the Star Destroyer is chasing down Princess Leia? Yeah, oh, this, this will be... Uh, I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to come back to you because I want to... There's a generational thing I'm doing here. I'll, I'll come, I, will, I will come back to you. I want to start, start with the people who were there. 
So this had, uh, there had been Star Wars articles in our weekly reader at school for months. My parents, wait, wait, oh, they took me to the Glenwood Theater. Everybody in first service went to the Glenwood. Everybody, Glenwood the theater. only theater in Kansas That's City. Because, well, it was, a, it was a huge screen. It was bigger than okay. all the rest. All right. And I can remember when that came over thinking, oh, my gosh, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. So, yeah, and it rumbled, and it just about made you pee your pants. It was so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, where were you? I saw it at uh, the Mid- Midland Theater downtown Kansas City. And, yeah, that rumble from when that flew over you, that was, uh, that was intimidating, but it did make me pee my pants. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, where were you? I was in uh, Joplin, Missouri. And that's where I grew up. And there was about 11 of us kids that went. And one reluctant parent that had no idea what he was in for when he took it. But he he came out highly confused on why we were so interested in this god-awful space movie. Uh Uh, But uh, I just remember all of us going, (gasps) and oh, and oh, (laughs) lightsabers. Yes. That's that's the three things I remember from them. We're going to pass it back. So I remember I was about nine and a half at my grandmother's house, and she had the old orange, like orangish yellowish boxed VHS, not the black ones from like THX later on. Uh-huh. And so I remember I watched it from the couch with her because she loved it, and so she shared it with me. And I was like, "Can I keep it?" And so I took the orange box home with me, had it for years after, but I watched it every day for the next like hundred and fifty days. My <laughs> My mother is a huge sci-fi fan, and I think I burnt her out on Star Wars because oh, of man. this. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's a good grandma. That is a good grandma. Okay, let's look at this next one. All right. Where were you? What's the craziest thing you ever did? So I didn't read them until I think number six had just come out, so I read a bunch of them all in a row. But I also was traveling a lot during that time, and I would have them with me at airports. And I, like, I never talk to people because I don't like to talk to strangers in airports. But every time I had one of those books... It would be that everyone was like you at the airport. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Every time I had one of those books with me, like, a handful of people every time would start up a conversation, and it was like, it brought everyone together. Mm. (laughs) Harry Potter. Harry Potter book. When you see that... What about these old people? So Harry Potter was like my life when um, I was young. It came out, I think I was probably, I started reading them like when I was in second grade. There we go. And um, me and my sister would go to every single midnight book opening. There, that's what I wanted to hear about. Okay, what went on there? So they would have like butter beer little um, drink they could have. Wait, start over? Root beer. Okay, got it. But it wasn't actual beer. But, and, like, all these little snacks, and we had, like, every year I would get, like, Harry Potter Potter markers and notebooks and everything. There you have it. There you have it. These are happy memories, aren't they? It's interesting. Just something like a cartoon or a movie or a children's book, and you just remember all the sensations of where you were and what was happening, right? Happy memories do that. Sad memories also do that. Okay, let's go a little deeper and reflect on some of the, some of the dark times and the 
searing imprint they put on your memory. Okay, let's look at this one. Where were you? Where were you when you heard? I was a uh, freshman in high school, and the day that uh, this occurred, we were supposed to have freshman initiation, and they came to, we were in algebra class, and they came to us, my mom was the secretary there, and she came to the class and told us that we were to meet at the flag, and so we all gathered around the flag, and they announced that President Kennedy had been shot, and that he had passed. I think it was on a Friday, I believe. That Friday evening, they went ahead and canceled the, the initiation in uh, honor of, of President Kennedy. Very much an impressive and a sad time for the nation. I was living in Salina, Kansas, and I remember being in the basement and seeing the announcements. I was probably six or seven, and it just the... Um, just the grief and the sadness of somebody being shot and that our president was shot was overwhelming to me. I remember watching the TV and everything that was going on for days on end. Is there any day of all the rest of high school that you remember as vividly as, as this day? No. no. Yeah. Let's look at our next one. January 86. Um, what are you, uh, where were you when you heard? Did I see someone kind of in the, okay, hot potato that down there if you would, please. I was stationed at uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, or, uh, yeah, no. Not a good start. Never mind, Camp, yeah, Camp Lejeune. <laughs> anyway, um, we, were, we were all sitting in the uh, headquarters office watching the launch and this thing it, it was just unbelievable um, when when that happened it just it just vaporized and everybody's mouths just kind of dropped um, still you know, horrific anyway mm -hmm. I was a senior in high school um, in a health occupations class, and we were watching it actually on television. And um, it was a profound day um, for us and for us at school that day. Um, it, uh, it's strange how you can remember exactly what you were doing in the room and who was there and, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's fast forward 15 years. Yeah, where were you? I lived in Baltimore, Maryland at the time, and my dad worked in Washington, D.C. Mm. Um, I was in first grade, and they uh, called off school, and a lot of the kids had to walk home. Uh, I didn't really know what was going on. I just knew that I was scared for my dad because they talked about something happening in Washington, D.C. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So Brian and I were newly married six weeks, 
we were living in Southern California, and we were sound asleep, and my mom called from Maine and from the East Coast, and I was like, why is she calling so early? And she gave us the news, and we got up right as the second tower was hit, and it was just stunning. Um, And we lived near an Air Force base, and so since all of the planes were grounded, we kept hearing planes, and we were like, why are we hearing planes? And so people were, you know, taking care of the uh, military things that had to happen, and we just kind of walked around in a daze, and school was canceled that day, and it was... It just felt like everything had changed. Mm-hmm. I got an interesting one for you guys up front here. So I was in about hour 20 of labor with Tater. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we turned the TV on, and I, I kind of, anyway, and I, planes were crashing into buildings, and I was just like, um, I think I will take that epidural this time if planes are going to crash into buildings. But um, I just remember it like made my pain go crazy. It was nutty. And I even told the nurse, I said, you need to tell everybody else to turn their TVs off. This, it just, it's too much. Mm-hmm. But it turned out to be a great day for us, but not for the world. Yeah. yeah. Oh. People would ask us when they would see that we had a baby. And they'd say, oh, how old is she? And when you tell her tell them when she was born they'd always go oh i'm so sorry (laughs) so yeah yeah let's go a little deeper let's go into your private memories the things that pertain just to you we won't be sharing those what's that thing your parents used to say or to warn you about at the time you thought they were totally out to lunch didn't know what they were talking about and then you learn the hard way that, that they were right. What's the biggest pain that ever took you by surprise? Just stole your breath when it happened. Now about that, did anybody ever warn you that something like that could happen? Like in the back of your mind, you knew those types of things. They do happen. What pain are you in right now? And this thing that you're going through right now, has, has anyone ever warned you that this type of thing might happen, would happen? Somewhere in your mind, did you know these types of things happen to people? And, and yet it didn't matter, did it? Warning or no warning, you're still shocked. Because you never thought it would happen to you. This is Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of the Holy Week, the holiest week in the Christian year. Today, we start out remembering that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And that as he rides in, he's hailed as Savior and Lord, and he's riding on a donkey, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies of how the Messiah would come. And yet, outside that city, there is a cross. And no one sees it coming. No one except Jesus. 
We're in the Gospel of Luke this morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 31. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus said, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem, where the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans. He will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him, but on the third day he will rise again. Now watch this triple sentence. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words were hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. Jesus is saying to them something that has been predicted is about to happen. That he'll be flogged, that he'll be treated shamefully, that he'll be spit upon. Now, where was all this predicted? This comes to us uh, in a variety of places, but uh, the best condensed version is in Isaiah chapter 50. So this is an Old Testament scripture written centuries before Jesus. And it says, The sovereign Lord has spoken to me and I have listened. I have not rebelled or turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. And yet, despite the fact that Jesus just told them literally what was about to happen, he didn't use any uh, parables this time. He didn't use any metaphors. He didn't use any symbolism. They didn't get it. And ironically, this is not the first time Jesus has made this prediction. In the Gospel of Luke, this is the third time. Now, we could come here this morning, and we could get down on these disciples, and we could say, well, how dense do you have to be? And we could say, we could accuse them of not knowing their Old Testament very well. Say, you know, it was written right there. But you and I were once warned that something horrible could happen, too. And we didn't get it either, did we? No matter how big of a pessimist you are, and I have turned pessimism into into an art form, um, I think I do it as a defense mechanism. I think I set my expectations very low and expect the worst. And then when good things happen, I can say, oh, I'm pleasantly surprised. And when bad things happen, I can say, well, I kind of figured it was going to turn out that way anyway. It usually does. Some of us do that, but no matter how big of a pessimist you try to be, there's always something that can take you by surprise. Even if you knew somewhere in your mind it was a possibility the whole time, when it happens to you, it still shocks you. Because you say, how could this happen to me? I thought this only happened to other types of people. And why does Jesus bother predicting that these horrible things are about to happen and then do nothing to avoid it? We're about to go to Jerusalem where the Messiah will be mocked and spit upon. Well, let's get ready. It's time to go. What is the point of predicting the tornado if you only intend to stand on the roof of your double wide in central Oklahoma? And what is the point of God whispering 
these words to Isaiah 700 years before Christ Jesus, if it doesn't cause Jesus' enemies to have a moment's pause before they do this. You would think all these religious leaders would have read Isaiah and you say, you know, guys, someday if somebody pretends to be the Messiah, we could lock them up, throw away the key. We could exile them to an island somewhere. But maybe we shouldn't mock on them, spit on them, and kill them because it will look a lot like this stuff. Nope, they didn't think that at all. They just went right out and did everything that was written down here. If these, if these horrifying surprises, like what is happening to Jesus and, and what has happened to you and, and what happened to me last year. No, you didn't miss it. I didn't share it because we're not sharing our memories this morning. We're reflecting on them. So if what happened to us, if those types of things are going to happen, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, what's the point? What's the point of all this? And what's the point of all these predictions? The answer to that comes a few chapters later in the Isaiah passage in Isaiah 53. Centuries before Christ, it was written, he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. These predictions are to let us know this, that God is not surprised. God is not taken by surprise. In fact, before it even occurs, what happened to Jesus? What happened to you? What happened to me? God has already begun to take the black thread and weave it back into his tapestry for good and for his glory. Now here, until recently, here in the message is where I would normally then tell you one of my stories. One of my stories about someone predicting a tragedy I had been warned and then the tragedy happened and it was indeed awful. But then God did a miracle and I saw his glory. And I have those stories. But I'm recent enough from all of this to remember that when you're in the midst of your pain, as some of you are this morning, your world is spinning And yet, at the same time, your world is completely frozen. Everything's standing still. And you can't, in the midst of that whirling stillness, relate your chaos to anything that has ever happened to somebody else or some some other story. And when people try to share those things with you, I went through that and God rescued me. It all just sounds like People who don't really understand what's at stake in your story, trying to make you feel better because you're kind of a bummer to be around right now. That's not what they mean, but that's what it feels like. That 
people that don't really know what's at stake in your story, trying to make you feel better because you're just a bummer to be around. That's not the truth of it, but that is how you hear it, I remember. For this Holy Week here, some of you are like these disciples. Last week, last month, last year, I don't know your story, but you were bouncing into Jerusalem with your King Jesus, and you were waving palm branches, and everything was great. And suddenly, now here you are, running scared from the Romans, pretty sure you're about to be crucified. So I don't want to give you a story this morning. I want to give you what someone gave to me last year that actually made a difference. I want to give you a prayer. And this is the prayer. God, you are not surprised. This is sure shocked the you-know-what out of me, God. But you saw this coming. You sent me warnings. I live in the world. I knew these sort of things happen. But I just didn't ever think they would. But God, you are not surprised. And now maybe for the first time, I know what it really means to surrender to you. To say, I must now wait and see what God can do. And oh my God, who sees all days before they happen, please rescue us from these days. For I will accept what you bring. It's a very important part of this prayer. I will accept what you bring. Jesus is going to pray this in just a few days in the garden. If it's your will, let this cup be taken from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. I will accept what you bring. If you think this prayer I'm giving you is a magic formula that's going to get you out of this mess, you've got another thing coming. But this prayer is the thing that can get you through this. And that is all God ever promised. That he would never leave us nor forsake us. And that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his presence will comfort us. But through the valley of the shadow of death, we will go. Make no mistake. No detours. No fast pass. And some of you will say, well, if I'm going to go through this valley of the shadow of death, if I'm going to go through uncertainty, if I'm going to die with God or without God, then what does any of this matter? What is it all for if it doesn't make any difference? But you'd be wrong about that too. As someone who has laid more people to rest than many of you, I can say with authority that dying with God and dying without God are not the same experience at all. This white cloth draping this chair over here represents a man who earlier this year died with God. Now at times in that experience, he was just as scared and confused as 
anyone would be. And yet at the same time, side by side with that, because of what he knew of God, there was an underlying peace. There was a peace that let him be courageous and move toward his death with both eyes open, choosing the time and the place and the circumstance. There was a peace that let him, this is so important, remain who he was on the inside all the way to the end. Not true of everyone. Some become scared, confused, almost frightened animals as the end draws near. No foundation to stand on. Through pain we go to the resurrection. But the presence of God makes that bearable and an instrument of new life. And so I want to give you this prayer. I invite you to repeat every line of this prayer after me. You can repeat it aloud, which is actually what I recommend. It has a different power that way. But if that doesn't feel right, you can repeat it silently. You can pray it for yourself. You can pray it for someone else. You can pray it even though you don't believe it very much. There's something about saying it, even in the midst of unbelief, that has a power to begin to reorient your heart. You know, only half of prayer is connecting with God. The other half is reorienting your heart to make it easier to connect with God. Isn't that odd? Only half of prayer is connecting with God. The other part is the way it reorients your heart to make it easier to connect with God. Why does that guy come up to Jesus and pray, I believe, Lord. Help me with my unbelief. So let us pray together. I invite you, line by line, to repeat it in some form, some fashion, some state of belief or unbelief with me. Let us pray. God, I knew this could happen. But I never thought it would. I'm shocked, God. But you are not surprised. And now I pray these words. I accept that I may not get what I want on this one. But I will wait and see what you can do. I want to control it, destroy it, change it. but I can't. Though I may not get what I want on this one, I will wait and see what God can do. Amen. A few days after that, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. 
as predicted. And then he took a cup and he said, This cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death till I eat and drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So we come to take part in that here at the beginning of Holy Week. In a moment, we're going to stand and recite our words of invitation to the table. Remember that there's an alleluia that is taken out all during Lent for all the reasons we described this morning. But next Sunday on Easter Sunday, we're going to put that alleluia back in for all the reasons we will describe then. For today, let us stand and proclaim the mystery of our faith that Christ has died. Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. If our servers will come forward, the gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Christ be as real to you as this food and this drink. Amen. Okay, have a seat. We're going to do it a little different. We're going to open the doors. It is Palm Sunday. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, they wave palm branches and they sing, Hosanna! Glory to God in the highest and save us. So as the kids come, we're going to worship together. Be sure to applaud and so forth. We're seated because they're short. And then I'll call you forward for communion after they're done. Let us worship and give praise. Let us read this benediction together and bless one another with the words of Paul. Glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. I hope to see you later this week.